The following production is part of the Play Some Video Games Podcast Network. Video games, the gaming podcast that strives for the right balance of coverage for games you play on your table and on your television. You can think of us as the counterbalance and sensei's divining top of gaming podcasts. We're a proud member of the PSVG Podcast Network and thrilled to be part of the Dice Tower Network as well. I'm one of your hosts, Kyle, and joining me on this co-op adventure, the guy who counters all of my spells. Josh, how are you doing this evening? That sounds like a bad thing, right? <laughs> I mean, it depends on how you like to play games, I guess. <laughs> uh, I am doing just swell, Kyle. How are you? You know, I'm not doing too bad at all. Are you familiar with Counterbalance and Sensei's Divining Top? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. I'm not going to go into the inner workings of it, but it's kind of a cool thing that if you're the person playing it. I take your word for it. It sounds, it... It sounds cool and overwhelming. Just it's from not a cool three words. <laughs> yeah, it's not a cool thing if you're the person playing against it. That's not a lot of fun. Uh, that's for sure. Last time we were we recorded a podcast, it was very hot where you were. Yeah, it was. <laughs> is, is it still very hot where you are? No, it's not. But it's gonna be again next week. You sound so sad about that. <laughs> I just kind of wish everything would pick a pick something and stay in that lane. We have this warm weather coming up from the hurricane, so uh, yeah. it's gonna get. Up into the 80s again, but, you know, we've been resting comfortably in the 60s, and that's going away. <laughs> I felt nice being cold this morning in my house. I was like, oh, I'm really cold. This is nice. I can just warm myself up with a blanket. Easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then and it's going to be in the 80s again, and probably very <laughs> muggy again. So this weekend, dear listener, uh, we record our first actual episode of Bored With Everything. We do. J- Josh, are you set with your list of topics? Do you have this just amazing <laughs> list of things that are going to spur excellent, amazing conversation? Are you ready for this? Well, Kyle, <laughs> I have some things. I don't know where they range from basic to complex to controversial or boring or who knows what. But I got some ideas, but we'll see. You know... Remember how this idea was born? I do. <laughs> no script, just off the cuff. <laughs> so we'll see. Maybe I don't even have a list and I'm just going to have something come up off the top of my head. Well, that's fine because I'll never know because I don't get to see your list. <laughs> you so no for all I know, you won't have one and you're just saying you do. Or vice versa, you'll pull a trickery and be like, no, I don't have anything. And then you come out with all these amazing topics. With facts that you thought and spreadsheets. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, though, I, I think as, as time has gone on, there's become more and more things that are probably relevant for us to talk about. But, dear listener, <laughs> if you are a Patreon subscriber... That first episode of Board With Everything will be coming to you early next week, so be on the lookout for that. But enough with all of these things. Let's get on to the housekeeping so we can jump into our, what I think will be a pretty packed show. 
So, as always, thanks so much for joining us this week. If you have any feedback, questions, suggested topics, hit us up at Board with VG on Twitter or check out all the amazing things over on the Instagram, also Board with VG. So, we are a proud part of the Play Some Video Games Podcast Network, and PSVG is on Patreon. We are absolutely thrilled with the support you have given us there thus far. And if you'd like to monetarily support the, what we do there, you can find us there at patreon.com slash PSVG. But the most important thing is just that you listen and maybe share our podcast with someone else who you think might enjoy what we do. We're also a member of the Dice Tower Podcast Network. So if you enjoy our conversations about board games and would like to dive deeper into that world, we encourage you to check out the Dice Tower Podcast as well as all the other members of the network. No matter what type of board games you enjoy, there's a podcast on the network that is right for you. So enough with all the housekeeping. Josh, it is yellow September. Yeah. <laughs> so we did say we were going to talk about uh, a little game about bunnies. But yes. We're going to push that back a week because I've only played Bunny Kingdom once and I would like to play it a few more times. And it doesn't quite sound like you had a chance to get it to the table yet. That's correct. So full, so. full disclosure, life got in the way as it does. Uh, so the big plan was to play Bunny Kingdom. Um, Kyle and I had talked about it. We were both going to talk about it today. Uh, so hopefully we'll be able to talk about it next week because I'm going to do my darndest to make sure we get it to the table this weekend. Um, but you know, unfortunately I know we have people who can sympathize with just not being able to get games to the table. It just, we got, I got one board game to the table and it was because I was at a cookout and just well cook in because we did have rain and it just happened to be because they wanted to play a quick game so um unfortunately i didn't get a game to the table however i did pick a game that i saw that's also on kyle's list so well i think we can probably both talk about this together uh and it's kind of fitting the season uh coming uh encroaching on us Uh, it is and I, I'm glad you picked this game because I really want a follow-up to. And I just think it kind of came out and people thought it was cool. And we really haven't gotten much with it since. And I would love a follow-up to this game. That is for sure. Well, good news. There's an expansion coming out. Well, it's not here yet. But it's, <laughs> I think we're on the, on the, I think it's coming out within the month. I believe if I, if I didn't see posts incorrectly. I thought it was 2020. Was but it? I could be wrong. No, it's probably me who's wrong. <laughs> But uh, the game we are talking about, as you hear me type it into my search browser, is The Big (laughs) Book of Madness. And then I'll just click on expansions, so you don't have to hear me type that out. So, The Big Book of Madness. The fifth element is the expansion. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, It is going for, yeah, you're right, right on the nose, Kyle, to February... 2020 there we go so it's coming i thought it was coming sooner however that's what i would like to talk to you about because i believe this has come up in previous i think when we did like spooky games but i don't know how in depth we've gotten in this game i would like to tell you this is a game that i've played at two players and four players Mm -hmm. and we have never beaten it and we don't know what we're doing wrong. Interesting. It, it comes across to us as very difficult. It is challenging. I agree. Um, but every time I've uh, in, uh, engaged board game groups uh, on this, I am uh, without, well, sometimes 
people literally spelling it out. I've been told that I'm either stupid or don't know how to play board games. And I'm wondering why. Because <laughs> everyone else seems to have no problem beating this game. So when I reply, you must be doing something wrong. <laughs> and inadvertently cheating. Because this game is very hard. Uh, <laughs> I feel this constant push and pull on this game. I think that this game is deceptively challenging because when you look at the art of the game and when you hear the concept of the game, it very much, in a lot of ways, is Harry Potter, right? This is a Harry Potter game without the license. But when you hear that and you think of that and you think of other games that have come out since this game, like in the Harry Potter world and all that good stuff, it seems like this game should be pretty straightforward. It's a cooperative game, you know? Like, this should be something that... You should be able to tackle the the monsters in the big book of madness and, and get that book successfully closed. But this game is tough. This is not an easy cooperative deck building game at all. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So well, let's set it up a little bit. Okay, so you start the game off by setting up the big book of madness itself, uh, which is one of the first cool, uh, unique things about this game. Uh, at least at the time. I'm not sure if anyone else has like copied it since then. But basically, you have the game board. And what you're doing is... Uh, the rules will tell you based on... Um, I think player count, it changes based on pages. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're you're putting in... You're shuffling in random cards. But you always have a cover and a back that are, are specific cards. And you're shuffling in um, boss cards. And then you're you're... Uh, you're essentially when you open the book it's creating a boss and a uh, win or like lose effects from that mm-hmm. boss each boss um, has elements or elemental symbols that are its weakness and that's your your goal is to to use your uh, we'll call I believe they're students right you use your yep. your your student in this wizardry spelly school whatever you want to call it and you're using your students abilities in conjunction with your uh, co-students because it is cooperative to play cards that are in your hand uh, to defeat said bosses Uh, each player they have their own deck and they also have their own special abilities which allow you to play off that. And I think one of the things we were doing wrong was when we defeated uh, monsters, we weren't taking the um, bonus ability every time, the bonus mm. spell cards. Uh, which, used when you start the game, you start off with the very basic low-level spells. And as you play, you can essentially level up your cards or enhance your deck to be more powerful uh, for when you're attacking uh, these monsters. Um, but they do fight back. Uh, and they typically cause curses. And I'm trying to remember, there's a game that has a sil- similar element. When you run out of a deck, it's essentially the end of the game for you. But if you run out of... is it just? It's just a cursed card, the one with the girl floating on the chain. I'm trying to remember the name of the card. I can't remember. I know which one you're talking about, but I don't remember the name of it. I think it might just be called a curse card. Um, but essentially, if you run out of this deck, you also lose the game. There's other ways to lose the game. You also don't have to... 
defeat other monsters, if I remember correctly. You just have to defeat specific ones to continue forward to get to the bat to the boss. Right. Because you can survive a loss. Uh, however, you cannot survive every loss as you uh, are slowly dwindling and uh, approaching uh, what I would consider kind of like how epidemics work in pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you draw too many, you you lose. It has a cool little um, book to play a uh, turn marker, which I thought was pretty cool. The components are great. The art on the monster cards are um, very nice to look at. Um, each player has their own little uh, player board where they can keep their spells, and you know all the. You're also getting these uh, enhancements that give you more than just spells. They give you like draw cards mm-hmm. um, and things like that as you play through. So uh, it's kind of like a. It's basic. It's not basic. It's a deck builder with a unique theme, uh, and that is monster slaying. Right. It's a. This game, like you said, I do think it is a hard game, but I think that it really is, there's a lot of unique and different ways that you can approach it, and I think similar, there's one way to win, but a lot of different ways to lose, so it makes sure that you have to keep track of all the things that are going on. Um, The one thing you're talking about, I think, is the Madness stack. Thank you. I think it's technically what it's called, you know, Big Book of Madness. So if you run out of madness <laughs> cards, you lose. If all players get eliminated because you there is individual player elimination, you lose. You can lose quote unquote lose to bosses or enemies during the going through the book, but if you lose to the last boss, you lose. So there's all these things you're trying to keep track of. You're trying to build up your deck, trying to make sure that you can handle the curses that come out when the page is flipped, because you know, when you get to the last pages of the book, you have five curses sometimes that are going to and you have five turns to get rid of them basically and then also defeat you know the 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 big bad that has been flipped over so this game is just i think so darn much fun and yes you kind of talked about how there is a uh, expansion coming out early next year you know this game came out back in what 2015 i think uh yeah 2015 you know, so it's been five yep. years. There's been a, a promo card here or there, but we really haven't had anything else for this game since that time. So um, this is a game that I think we talked about when we first started the show more often. But gosh darn it, if this isn't a great game, and if you can find it, it's pretty inexpensive. I think you can probably get it for about 30 bucks these days. Yep. Um, if you have a group of people who like a challenging cooperative and who, who like challenging games and cooperative games, I think this is a really easy recommend. The component quality is good. The only thing I don't like is they have those darn little cards. Yeah, they're very small. <laughs> yeah, I really, I don't like little cards. I never have. That's the one thing that kind of bothers me. But otherwise, the production of this of this game is great. The art is amazing. Like you said, that bookmarker, for whatever reason, is very cool. It's very cool. I don't know why it's such a cool piece, but I really like it. Um, Big Book of Badness. I think it's a super easy recommend. And, I, and, and the game I want to get back to the table much more often than I have because it's kind of fallen off the wayside uh, but I don't know why because it is an excellent, excellent game. I agree and yeah, I definitely need to play this more because uh, I need to at least to win once which would be super <laughs> great. Uh, one thing I didn't mention which I thought was pretty cool was 
Um, all these, they have all these spells that are basically um, like the elements, mm-hmm. uh, fire, wind, water, earth. Uh, but as you, when you can purchase these spells and essentially each spell that's in that element, it starts with the lowest power in that spell and it goes up to three levels. So like your spell increasingly gets stronger. So it's not necessarily even just like drafting new cards. It's it's focusing on like an ability and drafting like and purchasing that that new spell, which I, I really like that that aspect to it as well. Mm-hmm. Indeed. So it is interesting too. If you if you look on board game geek, uh some important things to note. Uh the weight of this game is a two point seven one, which for a ostensibly a deck building game is pretty darn high. Yeah, that is a a pretty heavy weight for a deck building game. Also, the age on it is twelve plus, according to the community. So, which is pretty old, really. Uh, that's what the game recommends as well is twelve plus, and I think uh, that's pretty spot on. And you know, and even when we talk about games for like ten plus, you tend to see some pretty decent complexity built in. But anytime you hit that twelve plus or fourteen plus, uh, you know that these games are actually going to be quite a bit more complicated mm. uh, than other games we're seeing. So, yeah, I'm really excited for the expansion for this. Uh, I, w- I wish it was coming a little sooner. But honestly, with the number of games I received in my home in the last <laughs> week and a half, I'm kind of okay it's not because I don't know that I'm going to be allowed to buy any more games because I also just got my shipping notification for Tapestry. <laughs> nice. So, no big deal. No big deal. <laughs> I'll just so, sit here with FOMO for everything that you have. <laughs> yeah, I got to play it, though, you know, because the tapestry's here. That's true. And Macha Coral Legacy's got to get played, which that probably won't get played until the holidays. And there's just a lot to get done. Tusty Mussy's on its way. We got the Hunger Games game that just came out. Yes, we did. The, the new Century version with Golems for the second game, Eastern Ugh. Mountains. I just, I just got, like, four shipping notifications from Kickstarter. So I do have some some stuff coming in as well. So there you go. See so much. Oh, and for you, Josh, and also for dear listener, my Barnes and Noble running a big clearance sale right now. So I got X Libris <laughs> oh, twenty dollars. No. Twenty dollars. Did do they have extra copies? They had one more. If you want me to go back, I could get it and ship it to you. Yeah, I'll pay the shipping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they had X Libris for twenty bucks. We've been trying. It's, I've been eyeing that forever, and it's still this, it's still like sixty bucks at my FLGS. And, so yeah, so well, I will I will go back tomorrow if I have time and see if I can snag you that. Copy that would be awesome you. if you could do that. <laughs> but yes, uh, dear listener, as well, go check out your Barnes and Noble. According to the person I talked to at mine, uh, they cleared off a big um, section of a big group of their game shelves and over the next couple of weeks they're going to slowly kind of be putting stuff out in clearance so i don't know if every store did that or that's just the thing my store is doing but yeah a lot um captain sonar was there uh custom heroes was there uh they had a lot of things that were in clearance that i was kind of surprised by so nice might be worth the checkout uh anything else you want to say about the big book of madness no okay no, no. excellent <laughs> The other game I'm going to talk about briefly, still sticking with Yellow September here, is a classic game that we've mentioned a lot in passing on this show. It has been on a number of lists that we have done, um, and this is definitely going to be an easier game and a game I'm sure Josh has won. Yes, multiple times. (laughs) Multiple times, but I'm going to throw it out there because I still think this is probably one of the best versions of any game like this, and that is King of Tokyo. 
Uh, there is King of New York, which if that's kind of your thing, that's cool. I prefer still King of Tokyo, the original, but with the power-up pack that gives all of the monsters their unique abilities. Uh, the one thing, you know, if you're not familiar with the game, King of Tokyo, pretty straightforward Yahtzee-style game where you are monsters vying for control of Tokyo. Um, one of you is quote-unquote in the center, maybe two, depending on how many players you have. Uh, and then everyone else is kind of attacking you, and if you're in the center, you're attacking everyone else. Uh, you roll your six die, and then over the next couple turns, you or the next couple, you get a couple more rolls if you'd like to, to, hey, if you have, you know, three victory points and energy, a heal, and attack, maybe you keep those victory points and you re-roll your energy, heal, and attack to try to get more victory points, or whatever you want to do for your strategy. So there's a little bit of luck built in there, depending on how you roll the dice, uh, but there's also, obviously, a little bit of strategy in choosing what you want to do and how you want to proceed how long do you want to stay in Tokyo because you're getting damage from everyone? Um, do you want to risk attacking and doing the damage to the person and having them be just bouncing out and making you go into Tokyo? Um, how much energy do you want to build up? How many cards do you want to invest in if you get the um, expansions that have all of that stuff? Which I Do you ever play without the power-up expansion? <laughs> do you have the power of expansion yeah i do i have that and i have the halloween I expansion also have the halloween one yep um but so this was a game that i really enjoyed that i sent over to kevin austin um a while ago when he was trying to get his daughters into board games because mm-hmm. you know king of tokyo is is real easy to recommend i think to anybody it's a really good entry-level game um, but even serious gamers can play this game because it offers enough like complexity to it that it's not just a, uh, um, well, it's, I think it, depending on what kind of game you are, it could be considered like a filler game, but I don't mm-hmm. want to just like relegate it to that. Uh, so I just think it's kind of like open for any gamer, but yeah, the power up, I think the power up expansion is necessary and then i think if you can get characters without going crazy like the pandas one as well um i mean they just add more depth and then extra cards which is nice because you're not just getting a new character you're also getting some extra cards to add to that deck yeah and i think this is kind of that preeminent game of you know it's great with families but it's also great just with a bunch of gamers that if you're looking to start an evening or wind down an evening, this is a game where you can just have, especially for someone who enjoys having an adult beverage or two, sitting around at the end of the night, this game is really great for that. There's a ton of player interaction. You can, the having table talk makes the game so much more fun. Um, or if you want to spend, you know, a Saturday afternoon with the family, this game fits both of those things, I think, equally well. Yep. So I, I really think if you're creating a game collection or if you're just kind of trying to decide how to build out, if you have just a handful of games and you want to build something out, I personally think King of Tokyo is almost a must-own. I think this is one of those games that it works great for gamers, it great works great for new people, it fits so many different categories of people you might play games with, and it's just quality and fun. I think personally... This is kind of one of those must-have-in-your-collection type of games when you start building your collection out. Would you agree or do you disagree? I agree. Um, the only thing I would add is that I've heard King of New York is comp- like decent competition for it, and I haven't mm-hmm. played King of New York. So um, I don't know if it's a game that maybe is better or worse or if I ha- like 
until I play King of New York, I'm not sure which of the two or if I would want both in my collection. I don't know if it's different enough to have both, but um, as far as King of Tokyo goes, like I said, I wouldn't have given it to Kevin trying to get people into gaming if I didn't think it was a great game. So yeah, definitely happy to have it in the collection. Yeah, I believe they just kind of recently... When did the new edition come out? Uh, It was probably last year when they removed a character and added a new one. Yeah, so there is the new edition. I have the old one. Um, Yeah, me too. But, you know, like I said, either way, I think definitely a a great game. Uh, I think King of New York is pretty similar. There are some things with destroying buildings and things like that. There's a touch more complexity uh, to King of New York, which I don't think is good or bad. It just makes the game a little bit different. Personally, for me, I, I still prefer King of Tokyo, um, but that's just because of the place the game fits in the in my gaming pantheon and the type of games I play. It just fits. King of Tokyo has a better fit for me than King of New York does. Sure. So, all right. Anything else you want to say about that? No, play it. It's not. It's not expensive. If you can get right, it, another experience. Yeah, another $30, $35 game that you probably can track down. Um, Yellow does a really good job of that, of having very overall pretty affordable games that are high production value, great artwork, uh, and aren't going to break your bank. So definitely a thing that they are well known for. So next week, we will continue Yellow September. Yes. uh, Talking about Bunny Kingdom. Uh, Might get another game or two in there. I have another one or two I could still potentially play. Um, just to kind of wrap things up for Yellow September. But Josh, outside of that, have you been playing any other board games or anything else on your tabletop? Well, like I did, like I said, uh, we did get one game um, to the table. Uh, <laughs> I was pushing for Bunny Kingdom with the group, but uh, people didn't want... Well, they said they didn't want to learn a new game, and then we learned a new game, but I think it's a, it was a little less complex. Mm. So we played Deadwood, 1876. Uh, if you are not familiar... This is in a trilogy of games, um, and I have it right here, and I want to pull it out so I can tell you all about it, but uh, they started with Salem, then they did Deadwood, and then they did Tortuga, 1667. Actually, it was probably Tortuga and then Deadwood. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's it's uh, in a case that looks like a book. Uh, what the, I didn't watch the show, Deadwood, okay, so... I was, I guess, at a disadvantage for backstory, because uh, apparently the characters from Deadwood are the characters you play in the game. Mm-hmm. So, uh, everyone plays uh, a character. We played, let's, I want to say, five five-player game. And you are essentially robbing safes and shooting people. <laughs> and okay. it's a pretty interesting... Uh, um, game. So it, it does play relatively quick. You play over a series of rounds. And when you start the game, everyone starts the game with two safes in front of them. Mm-hmm. And they have uh, some things that are valuable, like gold. Uh, some things that are not valuable, like rats. And some things that help with endgame, which is... Um, one can say they're badges. They're like the equivalent of trophies, like silver, gold, copper, badges. And at the end of the round, uh, it's kind of like a shootout where, but you're not shooting people. You are um, having the ability to gain more um, 
items. And at the end of the round, you basically get extra turns depending on the badges you have. And it goes in order sequentially. So the lowest um, uh, mineral goes first and moves all the way up to the last place person. When you play your turn, you can do one of two things. You can either, you start with a hand of cards and they are weapons. Each weapon has a die on it and that's the die you roll for that weapon. Mm -hmm. So you can attack a person and try to wound them and then kill them or you can attack them and try to steal their safe and essentially you're just um, rolling dice to get the higher die to take the safe. You're not like physically attacking the person. So you play a card either in front of a safe or on a person and the safes are all face down. Uh, When the game starts, you're getting two cards, you're keeping one and then you're passing one to the left. And someone will pass, then pass you a card. Of course, you'll have your two cards. You can shuffle them, but then you put them face down in front of you. So nobody really knows what the cards are in front of you. Uh, there are some cards that allow you to uh, peek, peek at someone's cards, which can mm-hmm. be helpful. And then, so let's say I'm the first player. So I can decide to attack someone or go for a safe. Why wouldn't you go for a safe on the first turn? So... I just you know either you pick someone of your friends who it's always funny to pick on, or you just kind of take a shot in the dark. Are you the person who's always fun to pick on? No, well, I I typically pick on people, um, but like in games like Secret Hitler or Dead of Winter, I'm always called to the traitor or uh, the fascist, if you will. Okay. <laughs> uh, so if I just so. Actually, I messed up the first time we did it because I thought the the die rolls were reversed. So the die I played, I thought was the best die because each die has a probability higher or lower of rolling a blank on the die. Mm-hmm. So um, the yellow die, which I thought was the best, was actually the worst. And the black <laughs> die is the best. So you also have abilities on cards too. So if you decide... On the top of the card is an attack, and on the bottom of the card is an item. So you can do one of two things. You can attack, or you can use the ability of that card. So if you attack, I pick the safe, put my my gun in front of the safe, and then the person whose safe I'm trying to take, they also get to play a card. Mm-hmm. And then all you do is you roll your die. However, when you start the game... You start in three different locations. And actually, I'm remembering there were six of us now, not five. You are randomly put into a location with someone else. You are now considered like partners if you're in that area. Some cards let you move to other spaces. Mm -hmm. In a six-player game, you can only have a maximum of three people in one spot. Okay. So if you try to move somewhere else, you can kick someone else out of that location. Mm -hmm. Uh, So... What would happen is if, say, me and you were in the same space and I was attacking um, the listener's safe and I played my yellow die gun on accident and they played a black die gun, which is the highest, Mm -hmm. you may have a card in your hand called a holster, which actually gives me a die of whatever that holster is. It can be anywhere from yellow, orange, green, red, and black, I think are the colors. Which will allow me to roll extra dice. And that gives me, you know, the advantage. So then I would take that card if I won it. And then I would shuffle it into my cards and then put them back down however I want. 
If I lose, nothing happens. I just lose my turn. You know, that's the end of the turn. And the game continues for three rounds. After the third round is over, you go into like the extra, like the overtime thing where mm-hmm. you are turning your cards over. Oh, wait, sorry, you don't turn your cards over yet. So this is what happened. It was pretty funny. My friend's wife went second because she had the second lowest badge. On her turn, she attacked someone safe and she got the next highest badge. So she got to go again. And then on that turn, she attacked me, which had the next highest badge. So she she then got to go again after that. Wow. Yeah. She got very lucky because I, I think my other card was like gold, which would have been nice anyways. Um, and then at the end of the game, you add up your gold and, and your victory points. And, and that's how you determine the winner. It was actually very fun. I didn't know what to expect uh, when we started. Uh, it seemed like it was going to be bad, to be totally honest with you, when the rules are being read. And it seemed confusing. That could be the rules reader's mistake or me not listening or something. But uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun. And it actually made me uh, really want to play Tortuga now and see uh, if it's just as fun or not. Very cool. Very, very cool. And the name one more time? The name of that game was Deadwood 1876. Very awesome. So, I did something this weekend, Josh, that I didn't know if it would ever happen again. Uh, I met up with some old acquaintances that I used to work with, who were the people who initially introduced me to Warhammer. And we played Warhammer. Wow. That's crazy. Now, let me tell you a couple things. Number one, we played Warhammer Fantasy, which I don't believe technically exists anymore. (laughs) Because I believe it's now Warhammer Age of Sigmar is kind of what replaced Warhammer Fantasy back in 2012, 2010, 2011, something like that. So I think that is kind of now where Warhammer Fantasy sits is is in Age of Sigmar. So we were playing old school. None of these rules, I think, really apply anymore. None of the factions are the same anymore. (laughs) Really old school stuff. Here's what I can tell you about remembering... About playing Warhammer again for the first time in oh, well over five years. Number one, Warhammer is cool. <laughs> I, whatever you might think about a miniatures game like that, it is very, very cool. Number two, Warhammer is very complex and not something you can play once every six years or so <laughs> and have any chance at all of hoping to do anything l- remotely well. Number three, Warhammer is really, really, really long. Especially when you haven't played it in years and years (laughs) and years, and you have to look everything up. So they were good sports. They helped me a lot. Uh, We were kind of playing a little bit of a skirmish slash campaign thing that they had been working on. Um, I was playing some High Elves again, which is what I played back when I actually bought some pieces and started painting and and all that good stuff. But I think that the Warhammer is one of those games that if you play it, it is the thing you play. And you don't probably play too much else. You might dabble in other things, but Warhammer is kind of your thing. And I think that's the biggest reason I've struggled with it, is I don't think it's a game that can be played casually. But on the plus side, I think they're 100% okay with that. That is what it is. That is the game. That is the audience for that game. 
but it's really fun to line a whole bunch of cool looking creatures up on a table and roll a whole bunch of dice and see what happens. It's fun. It's cool. It's really neat when you have something that's a very low percent chance of hitting hit and it completely messes up the plan the other person had because they've played the game a lot and have (laughs) plans. (laughs) So there was a part of me, a small part of me, that after playing Warhammer again for the first time in forever made me say, man, I really want to play a game like this regularly. But it was a small part of me because I think I would want to get good at it and I'd spend way too much money on it. But my goodness, I I get it. I understand why people love these games. I understand why, you know, Games Workshop has standalone stores that just sell Warhammer stuff. Granted, I think 40K is probably more popular. Hmm. It's just never quite been my aesthetic or the thing I've gotten into. But, dear listener, if you have a friend, an acquaintance, a friendly local gaming store that has regular Warhammer uh, activities, which they probably do, I would encourage you to see if you can make a friend or two and at least experience what is Warhammer because something, the scale of it, the number of, um, and you know, each miniature or each unit has a certain point value and they play, you know, point value game. So 2,500 points, each thing is worth X number of points, add up your army to 2,500. That's the thing that you get to use. You know, they're playing on in general, much bigger of a scale than a lot of the skirmish games that tend to be a little bit more popular, um, that are more compact, quicker, all of that. You know, these games are a couple hours every time when people know what they're doing. So I really just recommend if you have the opportunity to experience something like it, give it a shot. It is surprisingly fun. I, I think that there's a lot of things that turn people off to it, seeing folks standing over a table with a tape measure and and doing all that stuff. But it really is a good time. And I'm not going to say too much more about it. I just encourage people, step out of your comfort zone. Give those mini games a chance. And if you have the opportunity to play Warhammer with someone who knows what they're doing, I'm going to encourage you to do it because I think it's going to be a fun, cool experience for you. Josh, have you ever played Warhammer or anything similar? No. I encourage you to do it. Well, I have What's, I have Star Wars Armada. I think that might be the closest you'll get me to a, a miniatures game. Well, we can try. Just like I've never played a tabletop RPG. So there we go. We have we have these goals. <laughs> so all right. Well, that's enough of the tabletop. Josh, what have you been playing on your television, sir? Oh boy, what haven't I been playing? Not a lot. <laughs> Let's start with Gears Five because I said not a lot. Uh I don't know if you've revisited since our woes. Uh, I haven't revisited Gears 5 since Borderlands 3 came out. Because How far did why? you get in Gears 5? You, you know how far I got. As far That's as all the farther you got? Yeah. Okay. It has not played for me. It just crashes. It just freezes. It's just... I don't know. I'm going to revisit Gears I don't know when uh, I'll get to it, but uh, <laughs> I understand that we played before the game technically released, and maybe mm-hmm. that's an excuse. Maybe it's no, not. No, it's not. <laughs> um, I'm just not very happy with my start of my experience. I don't. Mm-hmm. I know that that doesn't represent the game as a whole, but right. sometimes these things happen, and 
uh, it certainly affects people's enjoyment of a game, and I'm just one of those people at the, at the moment. So I'm going to play games at work and that I'm having fun with, and then I'll check I'll check back with Gears Five when I have time, because uh, obviously, like, time is important to me right now since I can't get board games to the table when I want to, and things like that. I can't be wasting time with a game that doesn't work. So I will, if it's cool with you, I will briefly talk about Gears Five. Yeah, please um, do. So I played a little more after we played. I started a new campaign, so I played up to where we played, yep. uh, which actually did not take all that long. <laughs> um, and then continued past that. I get to the point where some of the more some of the quote unquote different things that they're doing with the game start. I didn't do any of those things, but I got to the point where that starts. Here's what I can say, for better or for worse, about what I've played thus far. It is beautiful. It's a very good-looking game. It is Gears of War. Yeah. Yep. And that's not good or bad. I like Gears of War, but from what I have played thus far, it has not done anything that I have loved. It also hasn't done anything that I've hated, but it, it so far feels very much like Gears of War. I know I am at the precipice of when things get different and things they, they try some stuff. So I'm interested to see what happens next. But like you, because we had so many issues with the game when it started, it's really hard for me to give my time to it right now. Yeah. Hey, and that's on them. That's not on us. Like, so. We need to put our game time in where we enjoy it. Indeed. So what's next on your list? Well, you kind of gave me a perfect segue. Speaking of games that are games, Borderlands 3. So I've been playing Borderlands 3. I haven't put, also haven't put in a ton of time just because of availability. Uh, and now that I'm back to working, like really working nights, I have like no time, which really stinks. Um, but I put a few hours in. I'm uh, We talked earlier, I'm a level eight. Uh, so that's not very far at all. In fact, uh, it's no secret that there's other planets in this game. And I, I, I'm just leaving the first planet. And that's all I'll say as far as story-wise. Uh, in fact, I stopped it just today when I got into the spaceship, which is something you need. Um, and talking about a, a perfect segue, it, Borderlands 3 is Borderlands. Uh, it's much prettier while maintaining in detail. It's much prettier in detail while maintaining the same look and feel of Borderlands 2. Uh, uh, I think... That can be a negative for a lot of people, which is fine. But you shouldn't be playing Borderlands 3 if you didn't like Borderlands 2. I think that should be black and white. Uh, or at least there was a definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over, expecting something different. Right. So if you're expecting Borderlands 3 to not be like a Borderlands game, you're insane. Uh, <laughs> that's a definition. <laughs> However, uh, I'm enjoying my time with it a lot. But I'm a I'm a Borderlands fanboy, so uh, mm-hmm. that should be said. Uh, the guns still incredible. The, it can be frustrating and it can be awesome all at the same time. Uh, I continuously find myself running out of ammo, which mm-hmm. is refreshing and frustrating. So many games we play that I I can't say that I ever feel like I'm running out of ammo truly. And there's been a lot of times in this game where I've run out of ammo on both guns. And luckily, I had one gun with like a uh, knife at the end of it, which dealt a crazy amount of damage. So I was able to defend myself. Quick question about that: What types of guns 
not obviously all the guns are super different, but as far as specific variety, SMG, pistol, etc. Yeah, yeah. Have you come across? Have I come across? Yeah. Ooh, shotgun, SMG, handgun, sniper, essentially an assault rifle, and then you know, and then a bunch of weird variations of all those different types of guns. Okay, so you're not that much farther than I have. Yeah. Yeah. No rocket launchers yet. Pistol, SMG, shotgun is it. That is all I have gotten. Really? I'm level five. Those are the only guns I've gotten. I mean, that doesn't sound crazy. There's a billion guns in the game. I know. I just was kind of hoping because... <laughs> and don't forget alluding, you have the alternate fire, so I think No, that... for sure. For sure. But alluding to, you know, the idea that, oh, here's this world with a billion guns. The focus is on the guns. Yeah. Right? It seems odd that you'd run into a situation that when they want you to have these awesome guns, either it'd be odd that either, A, you run out of ammo because the whole fun of the game is shooting yeah. the ridiculous <laughs> guns. Yeah. Or B, though... I don't. I can't even go into my inventory and switch to an assault rifle that I isn't maybe quite as good. Yeah. To still have a gun with ammo because I haven't found any. I think that's by design, though. I think because they they don't want to unlock all the guns on the first like intro. Sure. Planet. Sure. Um. Because yeah, I, th- I really think everything opens up once you move on. Um, and I but, kind of assumed it was these are the guns you get at the beginning, like yeah. this types, these types. So that's more of why I was asking. I wanted to see if it was restricted to you at the beginning. You only kind of get these varieties. Yeah, guns. but besides what you listed, I only I only also listed a sniper rifle. You said assault rifle. Well, that yeah, that's that's like there's an SMG and there's an assault rifle. They're in the same class. Oh, do they use the same ammo? Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't even know. I think they do. They have the same gun icon on the screen, at least. So I'm assuming they use the same. Oh, I, I assume they were different. So maybe you might I'm have an assault that. rifle. <laughs> I might have an assault rifle. I don't even know it. I assume they were just SMGs because it looked like a little little gun. Oh no, the SMG is a, looks bigger. I mean, the assault well, rifle looks bigger. bigger. Than a, okay. Maybe you just haven't no, found assault I, rifles. Lot. Yeah. I don't think I found any. Okay. Then. Anyways, they're there. Um, I saw Coach Mo thought in Discord today that he thought the humor was more childish or less fleshed out i think the humor is exactly the same in fact i haven't found anything overly profane or sexualized than any other borderlands game i think it's all been pretty much the same (coughs) i like the uh well the development of the villains doesn't really start to unfold until you get closer to the end of the first planet Right, I know they exist, and yeah. obviously I know stuff from previous, but otherwise in-game they've said basically nothing other than they exist and who they are. Yeah, they kind of pop up probably not too far from where you are, but but just like Borderlands 2 and Borderlands 1, you do a lot on foot at first, uh, and you're kind of traversing the map, and you do have um, the ability to explore submissions pretty early on that take you... Um, like if you know the other Borderlands, like you have a part in the map where basically it loads another map. Um, I haven't even messed with that other side of the of the map yet because I just assumed everything is higher level. So I just kind of because I know I think I can we can come back to the planet. So I just wanted to kind of get that story going, um, and then I'll come back. But uh, so far so good. I enjoy the story. Uh, it, I like that 
It incorporates Tales from the Borderlands. It incorporates previous uh, Borderlands Two. Um, it was. I will say this was pretty funny when I was describing the game to my friend, who really wants to get Borderlands. He played Borderlands Two with me co-op. Um, I was telling him what was going on, and I was telling him, and so far, and lots of Chris Hardwick. And he's like, "Wasn't he canceled?" <laughs> I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, apparently not." <laughs> but he's definitely in it. <laughs> so not when Randy Pitchford's involved, no one's canceled. <laughs> oh I'm not. I don't necessarily agree with what Kyle is saying. <laughs> uh, so yeah, what what about you? I know you're playing it. Uh, what's your experience, Ben? Yeah, it's you know I think similar to so far for my Gears Five experience being that it's more Gears. This is more Borderlands, and you are right that if you played. Borderlands 2 and you like Borderlands 2, you will like Borderlands 3. Yeah. If you played Borderlands 2 and didn't like it, you will not like Borderlands 3. <laughs> there is nothing that is going to win you over. Yeah. And part of me was like, well, it was a little different because, you know, games like God of War recreated who Kratos was, how the combat was, et cetera, et cetera. It also dropped the number. Yeah. So it kind of was, hey, we're starting over. Whereas this is very clearly not doing that. So I'm having fun. I do think Borderlands is fun and it's cool to drive around. I do feel the shooting... I think the shooting feels a little better yeah. uh, than it did in past versions. It took a bit to get used to again because of another game that I'm playing, which we'll talk about in a bit. But overall, having fun with it. Like I said, I'm only level five. I am flack because, of course, he has animals. And yeah. why wouldn't I pick the person <laughs> with animals? Um, and I felt very bad because your animals can go down and then you have to go revive them. And I was so committed to reviving my animal, I died one time. <laughs> <laughs> Rather than just killing the thing I should kill, I had to go save my animal and I died. Um, but yeah, all that stuff is back. Getting your second chance where if you kill something while you're bleeding out, you come back to life and like all of that stuff is there. Uh, the gun so far, nothing super overly ridiculous, but like I said, they feel, I think better than they have in the past. Um, yeah. And the humor, I know that's very divisive thus far. Like you said, nothing that has made me go groan, but yeah. the, the borderlands humor isn't always something that's really hit with me anyway. Um, Borderlands is a game I just think is fun to run around in and shoot stuff and do the the ridiculous missions and things like that. Yeah. So um, it is it is scratching the itch that I had for more Borderlands. Nice. Okay. Do you want me to talk about my last game now, or do you want to talk about your other two games? I'll go through my other two games real quick. Uh, one of them being Risk of Rain 2, which was kind of a surprise stealth drop uh, onto consoles and all that good stuff. Uh, I jumped into it because I had seen streamers playing it back when it first was announced and they were playing it on PC hmm. and it looked really fun. So I said, Hey, it's pretty inexpensive. I think it's 20 or 30 bucks. Uh, indie game being dropped on, you know, console surprise stealth launch. Sure. I'll give it a whirl. It looked fun. I enjoy the, the roguelite type games and it's a good time. Yeah. Risk of Rain 2 is really fun. It does not, it's not a super pretty game. It definitely is indie through and through all of the good that that means and all of sometimes the challenges that that means. Uh, so the game has a very interesting eclectic style. Uh, it's not going to be the best graphics you've ever seen, but the art design and how they put it all together fits. The music, also not going to be the best standalone music you've ever seen, but fits with the art design and everything else. The package that they're delivering goes together well. It's a fun game. It's an interesting game. It took me... 
way longer than it should have to figure out like how to progress through everything because <laughs> there really are no tutorials they yeah. drop you in and it says hey go find the teleporter and you're like i don't even know what the teleporter looks like but okay you find like so, 18 other objects that aren't the teleporter <laughs> yes i literally was walking up to things thinking sometimes out loud sometimes in my head is this the teleporter no okay this one's funny, and I get something. Okay, I got something. What does this thing do? I have no idea. Yeah. Hopefully, it's good. Let's <laughs> continue on and shoot things. Um, but I'm really enjoying it. I don't know that it is a game I will ever sit down and play for four, five, six hours straight. But it is definitely a game at the end of evenings or when I'm trying to wind things down that I will jump into and do a quick run in. Uh, most of my runs so far have been about 30 minutes or so. I know that for people, when you get good and know what you're doing, they go much faster. Uh, but overall, Risk of Rain 2, I think, is a pretty easy recommendation if you were into that style of game and are looking for something a little more open world. But, like I said, I'd recommend checking out a video or something first because that aesthetic is definitely something that might turn some people off. Uh, the other game that I played as I jumped into the Call of Duty multi Call of Duty Modern Warfare multiplayer beta. So, this is was only on PlayStation 4 for the first weekend and just kind of gave you the feel for what Call of Duty, the new Call of Duty is going to be, how it's going to play, how it's going to feel. Uh, just doing most of the typical multiplayer game modes you'd think. There was Team Deathmatch, uh, there was Domination, all that sort of stuff. Uh, this is kind of on top of the 2v2 alpha that they had previously. And then this coming weekend, if you listen to this right when the show releases, they're doing the uh, crossplay beta so if you have pre-ordered on any platform you can play together with people via i believe your activision account is how that works so you have to have an account with activision and then you'd be able to play or invite friends and you can see if they're on playstation or xbox or what they're playing on all that good stuff so all that general stuff out of the way this feels like call of duty it feels really good i think you know some folks it seemed like there was some pushback or some People weren't really pleased with it on social media, but I had a really good time. It felt like Call of Duty. The game feels tight, and this is kind of the game I was referring to when I was talking about Borderlands. Not quite feeling exactly precise uh, while I was playing Call of Duty. So the shooting is still there. It definitely is a throwback in some ways, but a new direction in others, and it's really subtle. I used to play a lot of Call of Duty, and I think the biggest thing I've noticed is that now, especially at least in the maps that they had in this beta, you know, the, they talk a lot about having three lanes in multiplayer games, the multiplayer maps, that there's three kind of lanes that action happens in. That's true in this game, that most of the maps that they showed or were showcasing over the weekend had three lanes, but within each of those lanes, the number of places of windows and doors and other trenches and other things that people could be shooting from seems significantly more than in previous versions of Call of Duty. Could be my perception. I, I have bounced off of the multiplayer pretty quickly in most Call of Duties in recent years, just because I'm not as good as I used to be. Um, but it definitely took some time to get used to. It definitely took um, a little bit of, of playing to kind of get in the groove of what the how this game feels, how the motion feels. The firefights with between players is, are very quick. Um, I do enjoy kind of, I can't remember exactly what they call it, but your ability 
um, on each gun that you use. The more you use it, the experience you get, it unlocks, um, gets more unlocks for that specific gun. Um, and really being able to kind of customize uh, the gun that you want to use or the loadout you want to use really down to very specific fine details to kind of get a kit that's going to work best for the way that you play. So just per match so, or, looking... or is that like something that stays every time you jump back in? So you can adjust the gun. So you can create loadouts just like before that you have, you know, gun A with a XYZ scope, you know, this stock, yeah. this a silencer, whatever. But you can go in in the middle of the match in loadout one and change ah. what you have equipped to the gun itself. Okay. So, yeah, it, it, and even if you unlock something for the gun in the middle of the match because you've gotten an ex- enough experience on that gun, you can immediately go equip the thing. You don't have to wait until the match Do you is keep over. it for future matches, though? Okay, yep. that's cool. That's good. Yep, so, yep. And I think they've said that some guns will have up to 60 attachments. Whoa. Nice. So if you think of all of the thing and how much experience you'll have to get with each of these weapons in order to kind of fully customize them, um, it's quite a bit. But otherwise, it's kind of your, you know, you have you have your primary, you have your secondary, you have your three perks, you have your tactical grenade, and you have your frag grenade slash semtax slash claymore slash whatever. And that's it. That's what the game is. You run around and you, and you do your Call of Duty thing. So it feels really good. I'll be very interested as things, you know, there's a lot of controversy about this game with the realism they're going for, the white phosphorus stuff, and we'll maybe talk about that later. There was an interesting article that was written up and um, posted on IGN today about that. But overall, if you enjoy Call of Duty, I do think this is more, in some ways, just more Call of Duty. Uh, but if you've been away from the from the game for a while and you come back, it's going to take a bit to get used to again. But... Man, no game to me still feels as good as Call of Duty does while you're playing it. Just almost never do I die and say, that that what like that something weird happened. I might blame the computer or tell the computer I disagree, <laughs> but it, it was my fault. Sure. Like, it was really it really was my fault. So, like I said, kind of a return to form as far as that goes. Uh, and finally, then, though, I just wanted to briefly say, because we've talked about this game a ton, and I think we'll probably talk about this game a lot at the end of the year, uh, but I got the Platinum in control. Nice. Platinum achieved. Good job. So that is so that is done. I got it all complete before they did the patch, so I don't know if the game's running any better or anything like that right now, um, but yeah, Platinum done. Uh, Ashtray Maze, still one of the coolest experiences in game I think I have ever had. Uh, control's great. I recommend it. Josh loves it. Yeah. That's all I have to say about it. Do you have other stuff, things to say about Control, good sir? No, I just want to spoil it for everybody. That's all I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> but we're not going to do that. No, I thought it, I thought it was uh, brilliant. I can't wait to jump back into it just to finish up some loose ends because I was having some difficulties with some of the missions afterwards and I have to go do a few things and then come back, and sometimes I have to go to Google and be like, hey, why am I dumb? How do I do this? <laughs> and there's still there's still a guy that I'm having trouble beating, and and I like that. I like that I, st- I, like can... that I still have all this stuff after completing the game to do. Absolutely. And if you want to talk afterwards, we can talk. Oh, yeah. Because I think I might know who you're having trouble with. So I kind of cheese that if I recall. Uh, no, we'll, we'll, I cheese that it. too. If I'm thinking of this, okay. Thing. Are you thinking of the mirror? Never mind. No, uh, I cheese the mirror. Okay, that's that's fine. Um, <laughs> all right. Any other game, video games you'd like to talk about here, sir? 
do I get Zelda this weekend? That's it. Okay, so here's the funny <laughs> thing. Here's the funny thing. I really wanted to play Zelda, right? Sorry, side story, dear listener. Oh, and going back even further, Gunsmith. That's what it's called in Call of Duty when you oh, customize yeah, yeah, your yeah. gun. Gunsmith. Anyway, um, I when I was running around today doing some errands, I talked about getting Ex Libris at um, Barnes yeah. & Noble. I also finally, finally went and bought Astral Chain. Ugh. Okay? Because I really, I love Platinum. I love Bayonetta. I love the games that they make. I just do. I really enjoy Platinum. Uh-huh. So, went and got Astral Chain. And I'm standing there, and I went to GameStop because it was just there. And I, honestly, I got, I bought it physically, which I don't do very often. Because I was like, well, if I beat this quick enough, maybe I can trade it back in for a different game. Like, Luigi's Mansion 3, something like that. I'm standing there, and the guy is like, oh, Astral Chain, it was so good. I was so happy with the money I spent on it and all the hours I put into it, yada, yada, yada. I'm like, okay, cool. And, you know, GameStop being GameStop, he goes, do you want to pre-order anything? I'm like, no, I'm good. Are you sure? Link's Awakening <laughs> comes out Friday. And immediately I went, dang it. I should have just bought Link's Awakening instead of Astral Chain. But I completely forgot. Yeah. Well. Josh, what did I do? Did you already open Astral Chain? No, well, I didn't. But there's, there's your answer. <laughs> I felt really bad because I almost wanted to tell the dude, like, no, don't, don't complete this transaction. <laughs> I will just give you sixty dollars for Link's Awakening instead. You can keep Astral Chain, but Astral Chain is supposed to be really good, so I, I don't know why I don't want it. But I really want to play Link's Awakening. I don't have enough time. I know. Gosh. I think I might have to wait uh, like a month before I get Link's Awakening, even though I want, I want to get it. What you could do. Is wait till it goes on sale, <laughs> so you could play it. Forty-eight. <laughs> I was going to say holiday twenty twenty-one. It will not be fine. on sale in twenty twenty-one. <laughs> two years, I think maybe two years. You might find a Black Friday deal. I somewhere. guarantee you, Arms still costs sixty dollars. And that game, I Link's Awakening isn't even out yet. And Arms is one tenth the game that Link's Awakening is. <laughs> so yeah. So anyway, so I hopefully we'll be jumping into Astral Chain soon. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think you should probably beat Borderlands, <laughs> then get Link's yeah. Awakening. Well, I'll have to beat Borderlands and then Gears 5 and then play Control and New Game Plus and then get Link's Awakening. <laughs> well, are you getting Ghost Recon? <sighs> yeah, I want to. And you'll have Concrete Genie for sure. I'll get Ghost Recon. And you'll have Call of Duty for I'll sure. I'll get Ghost Recon if people tell me they want to play it. Um, and I know how that all works, but I want, like... Right. But I know the game is looking like it's best played with multiple people. So, if mm-hmm. if people tell me, even if people are getting it, and they can't even commit to a day, at least I will know that the option is out there. I know if I get it, we can play it. I already know that. That's right. great. And I'm happy about that. But you're not good enough, Kyle. I need more people. I need other people. I think people. For, for Ghost Recon, I would like at least a third, if not a fourth, that we can try mm-hmm. try to make it work. Um, right. But yes, I mean, how could I not want this game? It looks so good. So we're running into this thing again where we come into the holidays and we go, you know, it doesn't look like we're going to have a lot of games coming up. And then three, like three weeks later, we're like, oh, my God, we have too many games. I know, and I was actually kind of proud of myself because I didn't play Gears 5 until I had beaten Control. Hmm. 
Me too. And then I was really I was really under the mentality that I wouldn't play Borderlands 3 until I beat Gears 5. Oh, yeah. But we had so many issues getting Gears 5 going that then Borderlands 3 came out. And I'm like, well, this is kind of the thing everyone's talking about. Gears 5 was on Game Pass. So I, I mean, I paid for it, but I paid a monthly subscription yeah. that I'm paying anyway for it. Whereas Josh spent his hard-earned money on borderlands yes i need to play borderlands like that's what i need to do so yeah it's interesting and you know even if you think there's still Link's awakening like you had just said uh i wanted to i'm considering jumping back into the original ninu kuni which just came out remastered i kind of want to play catherine remastered <laughs> so that's three then you yeah. have ghost recon you have concrete genie there's the call of duty how how there's not enough time josh we're mortal people who work full-time jobs. How are we supposed to do this? We gotta win the lottery. Stop buying $60 games and start buying $61 scratch tickets. <laughs> oh, man. I know. I don't know you know if that would do it <laughs> no, at this it point. Not. <laughs> so, all right. Well, that is enough of us belly aching mm. about our inability to play video games. In a video game podcast. Uh, I know. Well, and <laughs> don't even get me started on board games. My yeah, goodness, well, I have man. more games that i haven't played them i own video games <laughs> and here's the here's the kind of interesting thing it's last week not even last week yesterday when i was putting together show notes for this show in my mind as i started putting together show notes i said you know there's really not that many things to talk about <laughs> and now today as i went through the day and all the things i'm like what am i what was i thinking there was a ton of things to talk about and news next week is going to be ridiculous maybe it's gonna be no. It's going to be ridiculous. The things I already have. Yeah, that's trending at least. Make sure you include that in your notes. Oh, we haven't yeah. talked about that's trending yeah. since we haven't talked about that forty nine minute uh, demo. I know the American Tabletop Awards are yeah. not a thing, so that's the thing we can talk about. So much. We got to get some of those people on this show. We I'm do. Gonna, I'm gonna work on that. That's all you. Okay, <laughs> we're now gonna get to the topic of the oh, show, <laughs> which we probably should have gotten to ten minutes ago, but it's fine. <laughs> This will actually this might go real quick. We'll have to wait and see. Okay, so Magic: The Gathering has been around since 1993 and is credited with creating the collectible card game genre. Uh, Magic is a game that has really continued to attract new players, and one could argue that the recent years of Magic have been some of the most successful it's ever have. And one person critical to the design of Magic is Mark Rosewater. Uh, Maro, as he's often referred to, has been with Wizards of the Coast and designing Magic for over 20 years. And back in 2016, at GDC, he gave a talk about the 20 lessons he had learned about game design in his 20 years at Magic. Uh, you can see this talk on YouTube. I really recommend it because it's only an hour long to watch and he goes through all 20 lessons. But there are also three articles on the Wizards of the Coast website that Mark wrote about these lessons. I thought it'd be fun to kind of go through each of these articles. So we'll only do one of the three articles today. So we're only going to talk about six lessons today. Not all 20. Don't worry. I know the podcast is already over <laughs> or pushing an hour and a quarter. We're only going through six. Um, but I thought it'd be interesting to kind of go through these lessons that he learned and talk about them from the perspective of gamers, right? Uh, I don't know that Josh has ever really dabbled in, in game design. I definitely have tried to design board games and still have some things I'm working on that I'm pretty excited about. But I think it's interesting to take the context of what he has learned and then think about it from the pers perspective of a gamer and say, like, yeah, this makes sense. Or, oh, I can see where this works here. 
and all of that good stuff. So, Josh, are you ready to jump into I this? am ready. Okay. So, lesson number one, and I'm just going to talk about what the lesson is, and we can go into how he got to it if we need to. But lesson number one, he says, he says, fighting against human nature is a losing battle. When you hear that, Josh, is that just one of those, well, of course, statements? Or what do you think about that? You said fighting against human nature is a losing battle? Yeah. Uh, I think that that's very... A very profound statement, and obviously not just used for board games. I think it's something we do every day, to a point. Right. Um, I guess it really depends on where you land on um, nature versus nurture, and can you be can mm-hmm. you be changed from? And I, I, I well. I think it's been proven that it can be changed, right? Even in animals. Sure. This might be way off topic, but... No, I don't think it is at all. If you look at dogs, domesticated animals in general, that's na- that's nurture beating nature. Mm-hmm. However, sure. you always hear stories about the nature coming out in animals and we just kill them because right. we think it's unacceptable. I think... You will always be fighting, whether it's human nature or just nature in general. Uh, you will always be fighting that. People, people still to this day have conflicts about whether a male is is supposed to be monogamous or just on this earth to create more humans. That's something yep. that people still debate. So. We're constantly fighting human nature, but I will agree that it is a losing battle in the aspect of there is, we will never fully overcome human nature. It will always exist. I don't know what aspect it will exist in, but it will. Well, and I think the interesting thing about this is if you listen to his talk about it, he mentions that there are certain things that overall do to some extent change human nature you know cell phones i think is the example he gives or iphones or something like that as being something that does change human nature but look at how big that is you're a game designer you're designing a game so you can't expect your players to change to match your game you need to change your game to match your players and one of the reasons i like mark rosewater so much is this is something i actually use at work all the time when I'm thinking about the processes we do or how we interact with people or when we create something that we expect folks to go through, I try to think of the fact of, okay, instead of changing their behavior to fit this thing we've created, is there a way we can create this thing that will seamlessly integrate with the way they're probably already going to act? And I think it is such a, it sounds so, well, of course, But I think so often we get so caught up with like, well, no, I created this thing this way, or I see this as this is the only way this can go. We lose sight of the fact of, well, right, but is that really what makes more sense? Wouldn't it be way better, way easier, more streamlined, more effective if we just did it the way that made the most sense for us to do it? Right. Yeah. All right. So there you go. (laughs) Lesson number one, fighting against human nature is a losing battle. Lesson number two, Josh, and this might be a controversial one. Aesthetics matter. <laughs> it's 
I don't know that. Yes, but if you say yes, you're a bad person <laughs> because it's a double-edged sword. Like if you say aesthetics matter, it what does that say about you? Well, and I think it's important to clarify. He's not specifically talking about looks or the way something looks. That's part of it. Sure. But he's talking about how how the playing of the game or how the game feels. Which is mechanics. Well, <laughs> and he, he he goes way more in depth okay. of it. But it's not just um it's not it's just perception. about the look of the game specifically. Yes. It's, per- it's the perception of the game. I, I get what you're saying. Okay, so no. I don't, I don't, I I understand that, okay, there's a difference here, right? Aesthetics matter or aesthetics are important, I think are two different things. Oh, okay. Because a game, just because your game isn't aesthetically pleasing doesn't mean it's not Mm -hmm. good. But is it Mm -hmm. important? It depends on if you're trying to get new people, someone who isn't familiar with your product, involved with your product. That's when it's, mm-hmm. aesthetics are important. So I guess matter is more of the eye of the beholder. If you think it matters, then it matters. But if you... So this is... If we base this on magic, mm-hmm. and this is coming from, I'm assuming, a later set, mm-hmm. you have a, you have your, your fan base. You're, sure, you're always trying to get new people, but... Are you? Is it important? Does I don't. Maybe I might be. I might be mincing words to make it more complicated. I think that whether it's a consistent fan base or new gamers, I agree that it needs to be um, aesthetically pleasing to an extent. But if we yeah. talk about this one particular game that I think is not aesthetically pleasing. Everyone loves it. It's a superhero game. Oh, okay. I'm on, I'm on board with you now. And I'm in the minority, right? I'm against, I'm fighting against what I'm trying to say because I don't like it because I think it looks terrible. But is that really the only reason you don't like it? Well, I mean, I don't like I don't it's it's a big part of why I don't like it, but I just I just don't like Yeah, it is it is the main reason why I don't like it. They, it, it's because they embraced it. I think that's what really bugs me. Is the game could look so much better. They could get such. They could get a better artist in a heartbeat, especially with how well the game is done. So I'm, I am being a hypocrite because you know what? Aesthetics do matter. In the case of that <laughs> one game for me. And listener. The game we're talking about is Sentinels of the Multiverse. Sure, we can say it, I guess. <laughs> we'll just say it. That's the game. I we're mean, I have about. a lot of I have a lot um, of board games that people don't consider aesthetically pleasing that I really enjoy. Um, mm-hmm. But I think Sentinel, Sentinels of the Multiverse was like the first game that was really unpleasant for me to look at and play. <laughs> and this is interesting because this is something that he doesn't talk about in this first article, but I'm hoping that we'll eventually go through all three of these articles and he talks about something related to that later. But uh, when he's talking about aesthetics, obviously how things look, the car- art on card matters. But he's also talking about balance, symmetry, and pattern rec- completion is kind of what he's talking sure. about. And it's interesting because the card he uses to illustrate this 
um, is a card from Avacyn Restored, which is actually a really cool card. It's a, it's a creature named Grizzlebrand, who he is a 7-7. Seven, seven. So he has 7 power and 7 toughness. And seven, foot, I thought 7 foot 7 inches. <laughs> he's, seven, he's a 7-7, seven, seven, so 7 damage, 7 toughness. And if you pay 7 life, you draw 7 cards. Yeah. And he costs 8 mana to play. So players from a pattern completion balance thing, you have a 7-7 seven, seven, who you pay 7 life to draw 7 so cards. So they're mad he doesn't cost 7 eight. to put out? Correct. Yeah, that's stupid. Correct. <laughs> See, I don't think it is stupid because as someone who played Magic at that time, it is totally one of those things where I was like, oh, a 7-7 seven, seven for you pay 7 life, draw 7 cards. That's really cool for 7... Oh, eight. Does he have flavor text like, that says just... all sevens all day? Because like then I don't care. <laughs> um, actually, his flavor text says Avison emerged from the broken hell vault, but her freedom came at a price. Him. So that's what his flavor text says. <laughs> <laughs> then I don't. Sorry, I yeah, I'm in the minority. I guess I don't. That doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> and that's fine. And like I said, that is totally cool. But you're right. I think that aesthetics. You know, when we talk about, like, splatter games, right? Really great, really heavy games. But how often do people say, why am I paying for $100 for a game that looks like this? Yeah. You know, so the way a game looks, whether it be literally the art and the graphic design or those other things, they're going to impact people. So in general, he's saying aesthetics matter. And I think we agree, but maybe about different parts of the aesthetics that matter. I think I'm all over the place on on it because... I thought I started off strong on one side, and then I I found <laughs> the exact opposite case. So who knows? I I don't really know where I land on that one. It is important. All it right. is important to step Okay. <laughs> All right. So the next thing, lesson number three, halfway there. <laughs> lesson three, residence is important. Mm-hmm. When you hear that statement, Josh, what what do you think? What do I think? Uh, I yeah. think. Well, almost the definition of it, a game that resonates is important, or it is important for a game to resonate with you. So, <clears throat> whether that's the intention or not, um, I yes, that's important, because you'll never talk about a game that doesn't resonate with you. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily a positive or negative statement. Like, there's plenty of games that resonate me in a ne- with, with me in a negative way that I'll never forget Superman 64. And there's plenty of games uh, <laughs> that will resonate with me in a positive light. We just talked about Everdell today over social media, like mm-hmm. uh, in control, those games that will always resonate with me in a positive way. I think that the biggest thing that's the most important thing about something that resonates with you is it can just be the idea of something. So I can tell you, um, Contra 2 resonates with me as a great mm-hmm. game experience I had but if I can't tell you anything about that game what is what's really resonating with me I, if I told you Contra 1 resonates with me and I can tell you every level how how uh, like who you, who the bad guy is what each level is what kind of stage it is mm-hmm. that's when resonance is important because you're like this um i can't think of the word you you're you're representing this game that that 
man, I can't think of the word. You're, you're at, your job is, this game came out, so this guy, this magic comes, magic comes out, they go, we, de- we developed this set, blah, 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 but our goal is this for, this is for uh, our, our magic players, we want this to resonate with them. We want Kyle telling people about this game, about this set, mm-hmm. for years to come. Kyle does our work for us. That's what we need Mm -hmm. to make money, at least. I know art is different. You can't necessarily equivalent art and money. Right. Because some artists, that's not, I mean, most artists, that's not their goal. Um, And I I always view magic as an artistic game based Mm on how beautiful the cards are. But if a game isn't resonating with people, it's not making money for people. I think in the mm-hmm. in the black and white sense of it, yeah, which absolutely. is a very long roundabout think... way for me to get to what I was trying to say. No, that's okay. And I think the cool thing that you know when uh, Maro talks about this, he talks about how we all come with life experience to games, and the, and for him, resonance is important. Really, in a lot of times, is talking about when we. Uh, for better or for worse, a game I talk about all the time with this is Dead of Winter, yeah. right? Everything in Dead of Winter plays like I feel like it should play. Um, that zombies act in the way zombies, I think, should act. And that they resonate with my experiences previous and all the things that I know. Like, this game feels and fits and it, it, it goes along with my understanding of what these things are. Um, and it kind of talks about, you know, that initial idea that, like, fighting against human nature is a losing battle um take what people what your players know and and fall into that and use that to your advantage when you're designing your game uh one of the cards that they use as an example of this is there's a card called black cat right josh what do you know about black cats i have one well i know you have one <laughs> but what like what are the sort of like when you hear about stereotypes or like right okay so guess what happens when the cat the creature black cat dies in magic guess what happens Bad things. A target opponent has to discard a card. Oh, bad things for other like, a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, a bad thing happened, right? Because the opponent is the person who killed the black mm. cat. So since they killed the black cat, now something bad yeah, happens that makes to sense. them. Yeah. You know, so that is, to him, that is resonance. It fits with what you understand of how these things should okay. work. So, I yeah, I think it's cool. I think it's definitely something that, you know, a lot of games that I really enjoy when I think back about it. Uh, fit into that really, really well. Nice. Um, his next lesson is something that I will probably explain a little bit because I think the just <laughs> stating it isn't going to make any sense because lesson number four is make use of piggybacking. And what he actually uses for piggybacking um, is basically what he's saying is take what people know to be true about something or the knowledge they already have as a shortcut to how you're designing your game. And I think the thing that's fascinating about this is he uses an example of a different game designer, George Fan, who is the creator of Plants vs. Zombies. What he did when he created Plants vs. Zombies, tower, the original one, tower defense game, you have the plants that are trying to prevent the zombies from getting to the, to the tower. The reason he used plants was because when you plant a plant... It doesn't move. And we all generally know that, (laughs) right? You put a plant down, that's where it is. The plant can't go anywhere. Because he really was trying to think of a way to make sure that when 
players put these things down, they knew they couldn't move them. So that's why he picked plants. And the reason he picked zombies is because as people, generally, what do we know about zombies? They're this thing that just keeps coming. They just go towards whatever their goal is, and they just keep rambling towards it. That was it. That's why the game became Plants vs. Zombies, because he wanted people to understand how the game was going to work, how their things were going to work, how the enemy was going to attack, in as the greatest shorthand that he could. And for and that's what he says by piggybacking, is take advantage of what your audience already knows and build on that to build your game. Sure. Thoughts? Makes sense. Uh, the first, I, I mean, the first thing I thought of was probably pretty similar. It's how when we ever, every time we review a game or talk about a game, we always say this uses this mechanic like this game. So mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, you draw cards. And then you pass them to the left, like Seven Wonders. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what I thought of, like piggybacking. Like taking a mechanic Absolutely. that people are familiar with, yep. utilizing in your game, but but making it like systematically different so that people can differentiate between your game and the other person's game. Absolutely. Think about, you know, from a video game perspective, most games now, like first-person shooter games, all control basically the yeah. same. Think about how frustrating it is when the jump button is not where it's supposed to be. You know? Yeah, that's the... It's funny that you say that because I literally stopped playing the Mad Max game because the jump button was in the stupidest spot ever I know, placed and you change it. in a video game ever. I refused... Was it like on like the bumper or R1? Wasn't it like up there? I, you know what? At is this that point, where it was? It isn't resonating with me. I don't remember where it was. <laughs> Uh, that game could have been so good if it wasn't for that jump button. <laughs> yeah. So piggybacking is a good thing. It's okay to use what other knowledge or games have done to make your game better. That is okay to yeah. do. And I think that was interesting. Uh, next lesson, lesson five. Like I said, last two. Uh, this one is maybe one of my favorite lessons of the whole 20 <laughs> that he has. Have you read these ahead of time or are you Mm-mm. just going as we go? Okay. Lesson number five, don't confuse interesting with fun. Oh, sure. <laughs> that's pretty easy. Hey, that guy just killed four, four women. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> definitely wow, that definitely was... not fun. <laughs> Sorry, I was listening to My Favorite Murder before I came Oh, home. okay. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of things that are interesting because what makes something interesting is I think inherently that you don't necessarily understand how or why or who or what. And if, at least for me, something I find interesting is is perhaps something I don't understand. Uh, something that's fun is I inherently understand what it is because I know that it's fun. Uh, and that might be a weird backwards way to describe it, but uh, fun, I think has to be described by someone who has participated in that activity and can describe it as fun. And mm-hmm. I would never tell you something was fun unless I have engaged in it. Unless I said, I heard blank said this was fun. Right. But I could open a web browser right now and, and tell you 15 things that are interesting to me, not right. knowing anything about them. 
In fact, sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll say that for board with everything. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> I, I I think I don't know how I would necessarily put that into. Well, yeah. So like, if a new board game came out that had this really unique mechanism like you're you're drafting a bill and everyone you play against votes as the senate oh that's interesting but that doesn't sound like fun to me (laughs) right but that could be a brand new take in a board game (laughs) yeah and that's i think exactly the point is that often when we don't like something or we're not really enamored with something but we don't want to be mean we'll say that it's interesting (laughs) Well, it's really interesting that they chose to do sure. this, but it just didn't quite jive with me. You know, like we try to pad almost what it is. And I, and the thing that Maro talks about, and I think is so, I'm probably sound like I'm a gushing fan here, which <laughs> I'm not. I just think he's, I think how he explains things just really resonate with me. Ha, resonance. Um, he talks about that interesting is an intellectual response. Fun is an emotional response. Yeah. So something being interesting is intellectually what we think about it, but something being fun is emotionally our experience with something. So if we, if our true desire and and drive is to try to make a game that people want to play, we need to be more focused on making it fun rather than interesting because the emotional response is what brings people back, not the intellectual intrigue of it. And I think hearing him say that and, and reading through that is one of those things that really, was like a light bulb going off for me of like, oh my gosh, that is so obvious, but I never thought of it that way before. Because I describe many, many games as interesting. <laughs> a lot of games is interesting when uh, when I when I don't think they were very fun. Oh no note to self, I'll have to remember that. <laughs> yeah. Alright. And the last rule for the evening or lesson for the evening. Lesson number six. Understand what emotion your game is trying to evoke. Yeah. I mean, that's probably the most clear lesson that he said. Mm-hmm. I think um, if you don't understand what your game is telling people, how do you expect them to understand that themselves? And it's up to your interpretation if they see it the same way as you do, but why, why put something out that you don't understand? Mm-hmm. So I think this is probably, that's that sounds like, the easiest one to understand uh, without having yeah. to go into more detail. If you don't understand the message you're trying to send, uh, obviously emotion is inherently in the message. Uh, then what are you doing? And do you, do you right. expect success? Because how do you sell that game? You're not just creating something. You you have to sell it. Uh, whether it's right. to your significant other or to a fan you've never met at a convention, you got you have to sell your product, <laughs> and sometimes your product yeah. is you, which is unfortunate. But um, I think it's a good lesson. Still, I just think it's probably the easiest of the ones that that he's mentioned. Absolutely, and I think it makes sense too for trying to think about how am I going to, you know, every game they talk about how games are start off very very large and they're whittled down and whittled down and whittled down and whittled down. And once you can't cut anything else out. Yeah. That is the game you should be shipping. So all that other stuff are the things that don't lead towards what exactly, what are you trying to get players to feel? And this isn't necessarily that you want them to feel fun from before. You want them to have fun while they play, 
but are they supposed to be feeling a sense of dread because it's a horror theme game? Is it supposed to be something light and lively because it's based on a theme park? Like, what are you trying to do? And getting everything narrowed down to just feeling that thing. And I think it seems that we talk very often about really being happy with games that I think, actually, I think Control is a perfect version of this. Not a perfect, a very good version of this. That control knows what it wants you to feel, which I think is confusion. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. But it does a, you know, but it makes you, everything in that game goes towards that feeling and it goes towards intrigue and asking questions and wanting to know more and trying to find out the truth. Like everything is pushing you that direction. I think control is a great example of nothing in that game doesn't push you back towards those things. Control tells you. Well, that's the thing. Control tells you what they want you to feel without it feeling forced. Like they're, right. they're they don't make you feel anything that you aren't already feeling. They do such a good job at making you feel this way because I feel like they made it so they felt that way. Mm-hmm. Like everything obviously when I said it was like it could have easily been a matrix game. I don't I don't take that back. It's very, um, I'm at such a loss for words tonight. It's very, it's very, um, directed to how they want you to feel. Like they set out Mm -hmm. on this path, and I feel like if we could just be in a room with them, these writers, they must have these bullet points. This is when this person's going to feel this way. And this is when this person's going to feel this way. And then we're going to do this. And they're not going to know what's going on. I, You know, it's so perfectly orchestrated that, in fact, there's something that they orchestrated that is a straight out ridiculous play. They they messed up. They messed every player up with it. (laughs) I I don't want to say so much more. But really... They know exactly what they were doing, and and I agree uh, that fits right in with with what you're talking about. Very cool. So there are the first six of the twenty years, twenty lessons learned. Uh, like I said, if you want to, GDC does have uh, Mark Rosewater's speech on YouTube. Go watch the entire thing in an hour. Um, otherwise, that there are three articles on Magic's website, uh, each one doing six or seven. Uh, of the lessons um so like i said that is part one from back in 2016 and parts two and three we'll see maybe we'll do those as well because there's a couple interesting ones or maybe i'll go through the last two and just pick (laughs) out five or six that are really cool it depends i think they're all great i'm really into it but i'm also a huge nerd so anyway uh josh we do have a couple brief listener questions let's get to those and then get this show on the rails home Let's do it. First, we have Paul Calico, P Calico 84 via Twitter. He says, in all caps, and three exclamation marks. Cal, exclamation marks, exclamation points. I say exclamation point. Okay. Exclamation mark. Nope, I don't know. I think I use them both interchangeably. Okay. I've always had it. Exclamation mark. I think it's mark. I use mark. <laughs> Final okay. answer. I use mark. Exclamation mark. He says, all caps, three exclamation mark points. Lands of border. Where are y'all playing it at? Well, we're playing it on Xbox. I can answer that right away. I'm sorry, Paul. I know you're playing on PlayStation. Maybe someday we'll get some crossplay in the lands of Border. Uh, what is your favorite manufacturer so far? 
Paul has found Malloween, it's Malloween, uh, that shoots either an electric beam or a fire beam that looks like Ghostbusters proton beams. Freaking awesome! Uh, I feel like he's probably further than us. <laughs> I think so too, because I'm at the point where I'm leveling up so fast, I'm just changing to whatever gun is now at my level. <laughs> I don't have a favorite manufacturer, um, <laughs> which is... I always bothered my buddy who uh, we've played with. I think like Tediador, and I always mispronounce him as one of them that I do like. Um, I do like Malware. Isn't it Malawan? Is it Malawan? And he did it. He did I, it right, and I'm saying saying it wrong. I th- I think it. I could be wrong. You know Borderlands better than I do. I thought I did. Listen, I'm just going to, Kyle, answer the question. <laughs> okay, I will answer the question. So, yes, we're playing on Xbox. Uh, I don't have, like I said, I don't have a favorite gun yet. Um, I do have this shotgun that I was using that was pretty sweet, but it wasn't anything special other than it has, the shotguns have, like, these cool shields that come up, which I think is pretty fun. That's kind of awesome. Um, I, in general, I think that's cool. But also, uh, kind of like Josh, I had a, I think it was an SMG, that did electric damage and had a little blade on the front of it yeah. that gave ridiculous melee damage. Uh, so that's kind of been the gun I had been sticking with for the most part. It was a gun that, you know, the one thing I will say I do enjoy about this version is they have that number in the upper left-hand corner that's like the value, not dollar value, but like value of the gun skill or something like that. And whatever gun is like the highest number of that is just the gun I equip. <laughs> so because because that was always one of the hardest parts i had when playing borderlands was is this gun better than this gun i don't know this thing is an 82 this wing's a 100 the 100 must be better so that's the one we're using uh and that is how i'm going to play the entire game so hopefully that system does not um fail me because that is all i am doing i didn't even notice Josh, that what, yeah it's in the upper left of each gun uh very upper left hand corner of the box that they're in there's a number well, there and that just keeps going up have to look uh here are the and it is Malawan. I don't know why. What, what, what I was thinking of. Maybe Mass Effect. Uh, we have Jacob's Atlas. Um, Tediori. Hyperion. Dahl. Vladov. Torg. And, well, Malawan. Uh, if I'm remembering Borderlands 2, it was Vladov or Dahl. But um, I haven't really encountered too many versions and if i have i haven't wasn't right. i wasn't paying attention so uh paul i'll yeah. get back to you and i'll let you know if i find that proton beam though uh listen i i found out i can give mad moxie gun uh, uh money again and she gives a gun called the crit uh my goal is to get that gun a funny part of the crit because it's based off of the borderlands 2 D expansion uh, there is a 12% chance when you reload your gun, you drop the gun on the ground. <laughs> so Can you, pick you it back have up? to pick it back up, but you have no gun oh, okay. in your hands when you drop it. <laughs> okay. Well, you can so switch to your other you gun. Could you could die very easily. Splig <laughs> uh, at Doblicious says over via Twitter, still like the idea of a top... Five Shelf of Shame from last week. Also, saw the new Everdale expansions. They look awesome. Haven't played the original, though. And then Kevin Austin kind of jumped in. They look cool. Still need to get the original. Great news. You can get all of them for 
the very high price of whatever it is. <laughs> I think it's like one sixty five for all of them. Yeah, for everything, I think, yeah. Um, I backed this. I actually canceled my pledge for the Ken Jennings Retro Garfield game. Wow. Because there's only 16 days on this Everdell campaign, right. and I'm poor, so I gotta make some sacrifice. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, I backed this one right away, too. I thought I was done getting games, and then I saw this, and I was like, darn it. And there's the Root RPG book now? I don't know what that is. Yeah, the game Root, there's an RPG book wow. now. Um, yeah, it's on Kickstarter But as well. I saw I can add Pearl, Pearl Brook as an add-on. Yes. So... I will be getting so. three expansions on this Kickstarter. <laughs> Very cool. And Splig, don't worry, the top five shelf of shame uh, is definitely going to happen. No worries about that. That is on the list of one week here. Very soon we will be talking about that. Uh, as always, everyone, thank you so much for reaching out to us on the social media. We love to talk about the things that you bring up and that your and your contributions to the show. They definitely make it better. And with that, we're going to get things wrapped up, but we're going to leave you with a well-rounded life recommendation. This is something we're into right now that isn't necessarily gaming related, but helping us live that balanced life that is so, so important. Josh, what is your recommendation for our dear listeners this week? My recommendation is your recommendation. And it's true. I gave you crap about last week recommending something you had already recommended before. And I'm showing my true colors and doing the same thing. <laughs> I recommend The Chef Show, Volume 2. <laughs> Indeed! So it's different because these episodes are new! Foot, exit, mouth. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, but yes. it's better. Although I feel like it was probably filmed around the same time. <laughs> uh, the I, I feel like, and, and maybe it's just my brain being broken... The production value is better. The writing is better. The content is better. But the volume one was great. So Mm -hmm. this is more of a great thing. Uh, I really enjoyed. uh, I'm four episodes in. I just watched the Skywalker Ranch episode, uh, which was a nice surprise. I like not looking at. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Has their own garden, which is insane. And uh, I just think it's. It's getting better and better, and I really hope he continues making this show. If you haven't watched Chef Show Season 1, Volume 1, you need to do it. I promise you, uh, even if you're not a fan of cooking shows, this has stuff for you. There's so Mm -hmm. much content in these bite-sized half-an-hour episodes that, like, you, you won't regret it, and uh, when volume three, if volume three ever comes out, be sure I'll be talking about it again because it's fantastic. Right. I agree. I I think my love for cooking shows is evident on this podcast. You know, I'm waiting supposedly soon-ish. Uh, we're supposed to get new episodes of Ugly Delicious. Yeah. But until then, I was very happy to see I, I had heard that there was going to be another volume of this show. I'm very surprised at how quickly it came based off of when we got the first season one, volume one. Um, and I think the fact that this is season one, volume two indicates that hopefully we will be getting more of them in the future, but it's just a great show. It's a lot of fun. It's educational. It's funny. It's interesting. They just do a lot of cool stuff and they cook a lot of really interesting food. So especially if you're someone who maybe has a more traditional quote unquote to you palate, or maybe don't really 
push yourself uh, the, or the limits of cuisine very often, this is going to be a really easy way for you to get introduced to cuisines from all around the world uh, in a way that's pretty non-threatening. Um, and also some of them are very complicated, so you wouldn't be expected to make. <laughs> but uh, it's a cool way. They kick off the season. Wow. The, the most complicated dish. Pretty, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. Uh, but it's so cool just to see them kind of get, work together to, to create that very cool dish and share stories. So, yeah, definitely recommend The Chef Show Season 1, Volume 2 on Netflix right now. Yes. Josh, what do you say we wrap this show up? You betcha. Thanks for joining us, everyone. In addition to finding us on Twitter and Instagram at Board with Fiji, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Board with Fiji. So feel free to give us a five-star rating over there. Also, if you want to communicate in the more long form or you're just not feeling social media, please feel free to email us at boardwithfiji at gmail.com. We tag our stuff with that hashtag, hashtag board with VG. So please use that hashtag. Paul's killing it. He's letting us know everything that's going on. We love seeing it, Paul. Keep it up. Uh, whatever podcast service you're listening to us on, we encourage you to give us a stellar rating. That is whether you're downloading us from the PSVG feed, the Dice Tower Network feed, or our very own standalone board with video games feed. You can find me in the ether. Kyle, where can they find you? So you can find me at all the usual places. Twitter, Instagram, PlayStation Network, Xbox Live, Board Game Geek, all at Psychocross, C-Y-C-O-C-R-O-S-S. As always, if you have, as always, wow, if you have suggestions for future topics, be sure to reach out to us on the social media because we want to talk about what you want to hear about. And remember, everyone, whether it be board games or video games, never stop gaming.